0: facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And you can support the uh, program on a one-time basis at support.greatdetectives.net. And I want to thank our latest Patreon supporter at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Welcome aboard, Chad. And you can support the program on an ongoing basis at support.greatdetectives.net. Now it's time for today's episode of Richard Diamond Private Detective. The original air date, February the 9th, 1951. And this is the Blue Surge Suit.
1: Dick Powell as Richard Diamond Private Detective. <laughs> Here transcribed is Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell.
2: Diamond Detective Agency, put up or shut up? Hi. Oh, hi, Helen. You busy? Oh, like a hibernating bear. No business? I've seen more action in a bankrupt turtle farm. (laughs) Oh, things can't be that bad. I'm even getting an echo in here. Rick. Really, listen. Hello? Hello? See? Rick, was that really an echo? Oh, wait a minute. Hey, my girl wants to know if you're really an echo. I beg your pardon. Oh, uh, honey, I'll call you back. This echo has a man with it. Bye. Bye. Can I help you, sir? I am looking for Mr. Richard Diamond. Why? Now, that's an extremely unique question. I want to sell him ten tons of pig iron. Well, I'm very sorry, but I made a New Year's resolution that I wouldn't build another battleship until I paid up my bill at the automat. (laughs) My name is Barr, David Barr. Now, if you'll stop talking like a television comedian, I would like to discuss a business arrangement. Well, my name is Diamond, Richard Diamond. And if you're rolling in money, I'd be very happy to discuss any arrangement you could dream up. How much do you charge, Mr. Diamond? Well, that depends. Anything short of a felony, a hundred a day in expenses. How earthy. Well, it keeps my ribs from showing. Have you ever heard of me, Mr. Diamond? Well, I have a feeling this may lose me a quick sale, but very frankly, Mr. Barr... No matter, I can see by your clothes that your wardrobe must be fashioned exclusively by popular mechanics. No. Well, okay, we've kicked it around. It's been fun, but I'm beginning to get winded. What do you want to see me for, Mr. Barr? I uh, want you to guard my store. Store? Yes, I have the most fashionable men's haberdashery and tailoring business on Madison Avenue. And you want it guarded? Perhaps I should give you some background concerning the disgusting incidents that led me to your, uh... uh... Office. (laughs) For the lack of a more sordid description, yes, office. Mm, I'm sure the whole background must be very disgusting. Two nights ago, my shop was vandalized. Mm, Somebody broke in and swiped something. Yes,
1: yes. To be exact, one blue serge suit. One suit? One, one. I reported the incident to the police, and they summed it up with the same brilliant observation as you. To quote the sergeant... Somebody broke in and swiped
2: something. Now, uh, uh, look, Mr. Barr, don't tell me you want me to find that blue suit. No, this was not the end of the trouble, Mr. Diamond. Somebody lifted a hand-painted tie, maybe? Uh, Naturally, my employees were questioned, and the following day, the police returned to their little precinct, satisfied that somebody had merely... Busted in and swiped something. Yes, yes, yes. Well, the following night, my shop was again the object of vicious vandalizing. This time, the party, or parties responsible, took every foot of blue serge material in the shop. Oh, now, wait a minute. First, somebody breaks in and takes one blue serge suit. The next night, all the blue serge material in the store is stolen. What's the matter? Did you run out of suits? All my suits are custom-tailored, Mr. Diamond.
1: My stock of Finnish merchandise is generally sparse. We complete only two or three suits a day. The missing blue serge was
2: hanging with two other suits... The property, of course, of one of my best customers. And the thief didn't touch the other two suits? No, no. And on the following night, the night of the second burglary, a gray flannel was left
1: untouched.
2: Hmm. The suit and the cloth stolen were both blue serge? Uh, correct. Naturally, I had to order another stock of the same material. It's in the shop now, and I should not be able to sleep a wink unless I was certain that it was safe. And you want me to sit up with the blue serge? <laughs> exactly. I am considerably interested in finding the motive behind these unusual robberies. Oh, well, this is certainly a first in my life. I've sat up with a lot of things, but never 15 yards of blue serge. The illustrious Mr. Barr handed me a $100 retainer, ran a white glove over the top of my desk like an inspecting general, made an observation on the pursuit of happiness, and went out of my office faster than a bad molar at a dentist's convention. We had agreed to meet at his shop at six o'clock that evening. So I pasted the hundred-dollar bill to my instep, put the instep up on the desk, crossed the other instep over it, leaned back and dozed off, securing the knowledge that money would never go to my head. Mm. <clears throat> Yeah?
1: Mr. Diamond, this is Mr. Barr. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, it isn't, isn't six, is it? It's
1: 435. Mr. Diamond, am I correct in assuming that the moment you grabbed that hundred dollars, you became a member of my employee?
2: Well, you're correct. One hundred bucks worth.
1: Then please come immediately to number six, Park Avenue. Something's happened, and I feel a complete breakdown coming on. <laughs>
2: Oh, come in, come in. Oh, what's happened? Oh, if this keeps up, I may be living on dream pills. I've been eating them like peanuts. Well, maybe if you gave me a hint... I I have been robbed. Well, didn't we go through this thing in my... Here, here, I've been robbed here in my apartment. What? I came home, took a bath, went in to get dressed, opened my wardrobe, and to my complete horror, found three. My only three blue serge suits were missing. Oh, no. A potent reaction, Oh, no. Now, why didn't I think of that? I can't imagine. It's certainly simple enough.
1: We'll spend a whole day insulting each other after you solve this mystery. So for now, strain yourself and try looking like a detective with a $100 retainer in his pocket. Well, it's not in my pocket.
2: But if we go into that, I'll leave myself wide open. Show me your wardrobe. Mr. Barr's apartment was as overdone as he was. I stepped down into the living room and found myself wading through a carpet that called for a dog sled to negotiate it. The smell of incense made me keep looking back over my shoulder for the dancing girls. He led the way into a bedroom that George Washington wouldn't have slept in without an armed guide and opened his wardrobe. Two dozen $300 suits stretched from one end of the closet to the other, and there was enough material in that wardrobe to drive a frustrated moth into a complete fit. They were hanging. Hanging right here in this space. Are you sure they couldn't be at the cleaners? They were here this morning. Oh, what's that on the bed? That's a blue serge suit. Mr. Diamond,
1: that is the suit I was wearing when I came into your office.
2: No, oh, well, I was so busy looking at your money. Well, I...
1: well, what is to be done? Well,
2: i got to admit it's sure a strange one. You are constantly coming up with the most astute observations. Oh? Uh-huh. Wait till I get around to your personality. (laughs) You'd really be a likable fellow, Diamond, if I could bring myself to look at you. Oh, I'm not so bad. Think of what you must go through shaving every morning. Oh, really, Diamond? What do you think is behind this ridiculous situation? Very honestly, I don't know. Except the obvious. Somebody wants your blue serge suits and all the blue serge material you've got. That blue serge on the bed is the last one I've got. Do you think this could be some kind of a practical joke? Not very. It could get somebody ten years. Well, have you got any ideas at all? Yes, I have. Take that last blue surge and hide it. I'll sit in your store tonight and see that the new material you ordered doesn't get lifted. You take the suit, Mr. Diamond. You're being paid
1: to protect it. Okay. And remember, it's new. Brand new. It would cost you $300 to duplicate it. So for the sake of your home and kiddies, don't stuff your big shoulders into it.
2: He gave me the key to his store and told me how to shut off the burger alarm. He gave me the phone number where I could reach him that evening in case something happened, draped the blue suit over my arm, and hurried me out of the room like he was getting rid of a plague victim. I grabbed a cab, and 10 minutes later, I was unlocking the door to my apartment. I started to toss Mr. Barr's suit on the bed, but thought better of it, so I went to the closet, opened the door, and reached for a hanger. Now, unlike Mr. Barr's wardrobe, I generally sport a variety of items. A couple of sport coats, a few old letterman sweaters to fill up the space, four pair of slacks, and usually, mind you, I say usually, two suits, one of which I was wearing at the moment. The other was a blue serge. Was was right, because where my blue serge suit once was, it wasn't. That did it. First, Barr loses everything in sight that happens to be blue serge. Then I come home and find that one of the two suits I had to my name had been swiped. I burned. Barr could get dozens of suits and use them for bath mats when he got tired of wearing them. Me, I was going to have to sew sleeves on the bath mats. I called Barr at home, but he'd left. I thought about calling with the number he had given me, but decided against it. I sat down to try and figure it out. But a half a dozen camels later, I was still facing a big, fat zero. One thing was sure. I had Mr. Barr's last blue serge suit, and nobody was going to get it away from me. Big shoulders or not, I put it on and headed for Barr's shop on Madison Avenue. I never made it. Hold it. Hey, what is this? Well, I'm only considering it because he's got a gun in my back. Walked under that sedan by the curb. Well, I get, uh, get car sick. You hide him. Oh, fellas, I haven't been well. Doctor recommends lots of walking. Told me to stay away from cars. Whoa! No. Oh, now, look. You heard him. Yeah, I heard him. Mm-hmm. Would I be nosy if I asked... Yeah,
1: you would be very nosy.
2: How about you, friend? You heard him. Get in the back. Look, can I interest you boys in the deal? My secret decoder, my ray gun, if you'll only... Mm-hmm. They were both big boys and they both had big guns. One of them slugged me with one of the big guns and my head swelled up to match the whole ugly situation. I went down and out faster than a left fielder trying to steal home with a Charlie horse and they rolled me into the car. We drove for a long time, me lying on the floor of the back seat trying to bring myself back to a conscious way of thinking. Finally, I snapped out of it. and They let me sit up and take a look around. We were on a lonely stretch of road, and although the car was green, not black, and didn't look anything like a hearse, I had a gloomy feeling that we were heading for a funeral. Get out. Now, look. You'll hide him. Okay, okay. Look, fellas, the least you can do is tell me... Get out of that suit. Get out of the suit. You heard him.
1: Take it off. Take it off quick.
2: Well, I... Well, uh, Okay. Would you... Would you mind turning your backs? You want to get belted again? No, no, no. I'll, I'll take it off.
1: Take the coat, Hunts.
2: Yeah, Hunts. Here.
1: Now the pants. Come on, come
2: on. Oh, all right, all right. But it's cold. I'm getting goosebumps.
1: And the pants.
2: <clears throat> now you are, Hunts. Oh, so you're the guys who've been after the blue serge suits. Walk them off the road, Hans. Yeah, what if a car came by, me and my hand-painted shorts? Get him off far enough so they won't find him right away. Hmm? Move! Oh, now look. You'll hide him.
1: Yeah, I sure did. And now, back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. <laughs>
2: I kept walking with Hunts right behind me, his big gun pointed to the middle of my back. I could stand losing my clothes, but I'd grown to enjoy my life. So I decided I'd have to get that gun away from Hunts somehow. We were 50 yards from the road when I tried it. Give me that gun! Come on, give it to me! I guess you didn't hear what I said. Hunts had tried his best to put a hole in me... ...but like most guys who think they've got a sure thing... ...he forgot a small item called luck. In this case, all of it on my side. I left him lying on his face in the moonlight... ...and headed back for the car. But the other gunsil evidently saw my white shorts... ...bounding over the landscape... ...and decided it was time to leave. I tried a shot at him... ...and then went back to find Hunts... ...and borrow a pair of pants... Sometimes when things happen that fast, a guy gets careless. Now, I'd figured Hunts, being wounded would be in the same spot I left him. But when I got back to the spot, the one-sentence killer was nowhere in sight. Somewhere in the distance, I heard a branch snap, so I knew that Hunts was on his way back home. I was getting too cold in my undies to start chasing him, so I went back to the road and walked until I spotted a house. Any other time, I would have considered carefully before walking up to a front door attired only in my underwear. Thank goodness they weren't Blue Surge. I figured I could say I was a cross-country runner with a bad sense of direction. I rang the doorbell and waited. Yes? Could I use your phone? Ah!
1: Oh, shut up, Walt. Boy, did you look silly when they dragged you in here.
2: (laughs) Oh, I don't know, I don't know. Otis thought it was a burlesque raid and asked me for a date.
1: Would you mind telling me what you were doing running around like that? Well, that woman's husband was
2: chasing me. What did you think I was doing? Well, you can't blame the old man for chasing you. You scared his wife right out of her wake. Hmm. Now, why don't you tell me what this is all about? Because I don't know. Well, how'd you lose your clothes? Let me make a phone call and I'll tell you all about it. I put in a call to David Barr and asked him to meet me at the store. Then I briefed Walt on everything up to date. Walt said... Are you nuts? And I left before I had to lie. I went back to my apartment, climbed back into the only suit I had left, and 20 minutes later, I was standing in David Barr's shop on Madison Avenue. I explained the events of the last couple of hours, and Mr. Barr said disgusting. Ah, you bet. I I just can't understand it. I'll move over. Don't you have any theories at all? Well, vague ones. That blue suit that you gave me. Tell me about it.
1: The material was originally ordered for a customer who failed to show up, so I had it made up for me. Where did you get your cloth? Black and Winterfield. Although I'm certain you've never enjoyed the benefit of their merchandise, you must have heard of them.
2: What customer was the material ordered for originally? Oh, not one of my steady customers. Uh, he left a deposit. Well, what was his name? Kingsley. Leonard Kingsley. A small man with a preposterous stomach.
1: I had to order four yards.
2: Mm. Well, that's Mr. Kingsley. He's never called or gotten in touch with you? No, no, no. So needing another blue suit, I use the material for myself. If he comes in, I can always order more material.
1: Didn't you take his measurements? Uh, He was in a hurry. He picked out the surge from the book, gave me a deposit, and told me he'd be back that afternoon for the measurements. Uh, That was over a month ago. What are you driving
2: at, Diamond? How do I know? I'm just fishing. The whole thing has got something to do with blue surge material in that blue suit. You're getting disgustingly repetitious. I suppose you're going to tell me this Kingsley sent two hired killers to steal my goods because he thought it was easier than coming in for a fitting. I know. Where's your phone? On the desk. It's the only thing in the whole shop that looks anything like a phone. Honestly. I got more of a description of Leonard Kingsley and put in a call to Walt at the precinct. I gave him the information, asked him to run a check. Then I said goodnight to Mr. Barr and settled back in a chair to guard the store. I'd been sleeping about an hour when Walt called back. What do you know about this Leonard Kingsley diamond? Now, there's a brilliant question. Why do you think I called you up? I don't know anything. I want to find out.
1: Well, where did you hear about him?
2: From my client.
1: That bar guy you told me about?
2: That's right. This Leonard Kingsley came into his store, ordered a suit, never came back.
1: That was because he couldn't. Come back? Yeah. About a month ago, this Leonard Kingsley was killed in a car accident. Stepped off the curb, and a car hit him.
2: You sure it was an accident?
1: Yep. Woman hit him. There was an inquest. Witnesses say it was all Kingsley's fault.
2: All right, all right. What's the rest? rest? Oh, stop with the little red riding hood. Something's up.
1: Well, this is confidential, Rick. Well, it'll stay that way. The FBI have got a share in this thing. What? It seems that when a check was run to find Kingsley's home and relatives, all of the credentials he had on him turned out to be phonies, particularly his passport.
2: What did the feds find out?
1: Kingsley was from one of the Iron Curtain countries. Espionage. (laughs)
2: All right.
1: Well, Paul
2: Revere with a shoulder holster. I want some answers, Mr. Barr. How many customers can you remember who came into your shop and ordered only one suit in the last year? Mm, Half a dozen. How many never came back after they got the one suit? What's the matter? That's peculiar. Everyone I can remember, and they're comparatively easy because most of my customers are steady. Go on, go on. What about these single customers? Every one of them ordered a blue surge. And you got all the material from Black and Winterfield? Yes. The whole thing was beginning to make sense. What better way of getting information out of the country than in the material of a suit? I dragged Barr down to the store again, got the names of all his single customers who had ordered blue surge suits. Then I went over to the 5th precinct and had Walt make a check on them. Two hours later, the U.S. Customs Department sent in an interesting teletype.
1: Rick, every one of those guys have
2: left the country and hasn't returned. And eight to five, the FBI can find out plenty. Now, getting the information, let's go over to Black and Winterfield. I want to take a look at that store. See if I can find out how anyone can hide any kind of information in three and a half yards of blue surge. (laughs) it is. Dark. Yep, come on. What do you think you're going to do? Well, we're going in that store and take a look around. You can't do that. Now without a warrant. All right, Fatty, just so you won't disgrace that lovely badge, I'll go in first and you can come in and arrest me for breaking and entering. Now, Rick, you wait a minute. Walt, they know I got away. We can't wait. I... Hey. What's the matter? What are you looking at? That car in the alley. What about it? Looks like the one those two killers took me for a ride in. Come on. Well? Uh, looks like it. Wait a minute. I took a shot at it, and maybe I can.
1: Wait, I'll light a match.
2: Uh huh. Yes, sir. Here it is. Nice little bullet hole. Well, I'll be I think one of my little head hunters is in that building. Still want to get a warrant? Let's go. How are we going to get in? Oh, you'll figure something out. You're really a second-story man at heart. Rick, wait a minute. What is it? Look at this. Isn't that blood? Hmm. Oh, looks like both of them are here. Leads right in the door. Locked. Let's go around back. We ducked around back and spent the next ten minutes jimmying the window. And Walt couldn't have been more professional if he'd done time in Sing Sing. He jammed it without a sound and knew just how to disconnect the alarm. We squeezed through and dropped to the floor. <clears throat> we were in a basement, and from somewhere in another part of the building, we could hear a radio playing softly. We went up the steps to the first floor and stopped to listen. The radio was to our left, down a long corridor... We stayed against the wall and edged our way toward a door at the end of the hall. A thin strip of light showed at the crack, and we moved up and listened, holding our breath.
1: How are you feeling, Hans? Well, try and take it easy. The boss is coming with the doc.
2: They're both in there. Let's take them. Hold it.
1: Music making you feel better, huh? No. No, Gabe. Well, you want something better, maybe? Artie Shaw pick you up, maybe? No. Turn it off. Okay. Now, don't you worry. I'll get that shamus for shooting you. And the boss will be real happy when he sees we got the suit.
2: Okay, let's take him, Walt.
1: Look out behind you, (laughs) Rick!
2: It all happened so fast there wasn't any time to think. Suddenly, there were two men standing behind us in the hall. By the time the smoke cleared, both of them were down, and Walt and I were shaking like a hula dancer with a hot foot. Then, before we could catch our breath, Gabe came running out. I'll get him, Rick! No, no, I'll get him. You go in and take care of the wounded, but... Walt went in after Hunt's, and I took off after the other. I caught him just as he dove through the front door.
1: Hold it! Okay, okay. I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. All right, all right, let's have it. I'm bleeding. Get a doctor.
2: The ambulance is on the way. Now, tell us about it. What do you want to know? We want to know about the suits and about the material and who the guys are in the hall.
1: (laughs) One of them's a doctor for Huntsia. The other one's the boss. He runs the store.
2: You were getting information out of the country and the Blue Surge material.
1: Yeah. What kind of information? All kinds. Defense plans, radar locations, that kind of stuff. Done all in code numbers. How did they do it? Stuff was invisible, like... Just drew it on the blue surge. When the guy got out of the country, he'd take the suit and dip it in something. Then the right and come out.
2: And when Kingsley got hit by the car, you found out he didn't have the suit?
1: The boss did. How about it, Hunts? How do you feel? Oh. <laughs> oh, why did you swipe my suit? We was tailing bar. so I'm going to your office. Figured maybe he'd give you the suit.
2: Well, there it is, Rick. How about it, Hunts? Your partner telling the truth? <laughs>
0: You heard him.
1: Dick Powell can soon be seen in his new RKO picture, Cry Danger. Tonight's adventure of Richard Diamond was written by Blake Edwards with music by Frank Worth. Our director is Helen Mack. Featured in the cast were Virginia Gregg, Wilms Herbert, and Arthur Q. Bryan. Listen next week for another exciting transcribed adventure of Richard Diamond starring Dick Powell. This is your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the FBI follows immediately. Stay tuned. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the American Broadcasting Company.
0: Welcome back. Well, the big highlight is guest star Jim Backus. And in my generation, we knew Jim Backus as Mr. Howell from Gilligan's Islands Reef Runs and maybe a little bit of Mr. Magoo. But Bacchus was very prolific in radio, and he shows a pretty good performance here. There's a certain poshness to the role, but it's it's dialed back a bit from uh, Mr. Howell levels he would uh, take on in the 1960s and way back from his recurring role as Hubert Updock on the Alan Young program. And he and Powell really work well off each other in this episode. Creating a lot of very good barbs. I like this mystery because it's got a nice hook. Because it, this definitely, it just puzzles you. It's like, why is everybody taking the blue surge suit? And then of course, Soviet spies. It's the Cold War. Good standby solution. So, overall, I really enjoyed this one. All right, listener comments and feedback now. And now we turn to some feedback on the judge. Uh, Listeners judging the judge. Uh, David said, I really like the idea of a crime-solving retired judge, but this could have been better. In addition to the issues you mentioned, this had one of the weaker Uh, criminal plots we've heard in a while. Apparently, the villain's entire scheme depended on the civic-minded stepmother being convicted, when there was absolutely no evidence against her and practically no motive for her to commit the crime. Even the police were onto the more obvious red herring of the jilted girlfriend. I'd definitely be curious to hear if it improved with further episodes, though. Definitely a good question. Uh, John Daner, always great in whatever he does. Um, and, uh, Tim writes regarding the judge, I waited for the credits on the judge expecting to hear it with a Hummert's production. It had all the hallmarks, cardboard stereotype characters. Every adjective was superlative, the best, the wisest, the smartest characters referred to each other by their full names. The ladies leadership and the reform movement was mentioned four times and the entire plot was summarized in excruciating detail after every commercial break. What a surprise to hear that this was the Gunsmoke production team. Norm MacDonald, John Meston, Georgia Ellis, and uh, even the music directors. If your dates are correct, this uh, was early in their careers. Uh, Well, interesting comment on that point, Tim. And it may be a case of um, what people were interested in. Because the Hummer program, Say What You Will About Them, and people have over the years, uh, were very, very uh, successful in terms of the ratings they drew, the money they made, and how long they lasted on the air. So it's uh, logical that people might try to imitate them, just as Hollywood often tries to imitate uh, previous uh, works today. Thankfully, they went on to some other things that suited them better. Mark writes in, Adam, it was fun hearing uh, Paladin again for the first time since Andrew played out all his Have Gun, Will Travel episodes. I found it very interesting and maybe you noticed that the public service announcement on that show mentioned getting ready for tax time on uh, April 15th or March 15th. Had you picked up on that? Yeah, I had. It's. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times. Um, and pretty much listening to old time radio, you kind of get numb to it that back in the golden age of radio, for most of it, tax time was March 15th, not April 15th like we're used to. So, yep, yeah, that is a good catch, but that also was one of the very uh, interesting things about this period. All right, well, that's all for now. If you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. You can also uh, write Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. That's uh, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. Follow us over on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check out our YouTube archive, youtube.greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.